0: I'd love for you now to take your Bibles and turn with me one more time to 2 Thessalonians because today we are completing our study in 2 Thessalonians and you're going to be looking today at verse 16, 17, and 18. As you're turning there, you realize you are dealing then with the last words that the Apostle Paul will be penning to the Thessalonian people and as has always stood out in my own personal experience pastorally, is that last words create lasting memories, lasting impressions. There's something significant about last words. They tend to weigh the heart, the mind, with the things that matter most to the person who shared them. What fascinates me all the more is that when you find that what a person ends with is very consistent with what the person began with. And if you were to read in the opening verses of chapter 1 of 2 Thessalonians, you would find that some of the major themes that he highlighted there are the same themes that he highlights at the end of this letter. There's a consistency when it comes to the things that matter most, to the Apostle Paul is mine, heart and soul, as it should be for you and for me as well. And so now, in Second Thessalonians 3, verse 16, down through verse 18, I want you to notice carefully, it's succinct, yet loaded with perspective on how to live life. Now, may the Lord of peace himself give you peace at all times, in every way. The Lord be with you all. I, Paul, write this greeting with my own hand. This is the sign of genuineness in every letter of mine. It is the way I write. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. With that in mind, let's look to our Lord in prayer. Now, our fathers, we coming into your presence. We see you as the sovereign, holy, righteous God. The infinite resources of this universe are found in you, not in us. And we turn to you, the one who owns all, the one who sent his son Jesus Christ to die in our place for our sins, the one who sent the Holy Spirit to take what had been secured at the cross of Jesus Christ, and be applied to our own personal lives, our hearts, our souls. And what we want to do, Father, through the inspired word that the Holy Spirit gave us through your selected authors, is to now take this and relate it to everyday practical living. Because we're practical people. We face real issues requiring critical decisions day in, day out. And you know what decisions various people in all these services this morning are facing. The difficulties, the challenges. Where they take the past, they take the present, and try to weave together a plan for the future. And Father, you know those needs. You are the God who in eternity past described and defined the ultimate plan, the plan of redemption, that Jesus Christ will come to die in our place for our sins, You are the God who works all details out for your glory. We praise you and we thank you for that. So, Father, whatever details right now are on the minds and the hearts of each one here, sometimes many details that are crowding our ability to even reason well, may we now place all these thoughts under you, turn to you, seek you in the midst of your verses, that are found here, warm these hearts, engage these minds, shape these wills, come here again, Father, to see Jesus, and him only, praying these things again now in Jesus' name. Amen. There's incredible wisdom when you read the journals of people who have walked with the Lord, been used greatly by the Lord. One man was Hudson Taylor, and in his journal he wrote words that relate and connect to the verses you and I are covering today. Our Heavenly Father is a very experienced one, he wrote. He knows very well that his children wake up with a good appetite every morning. He sustained three million Israelites in the wilderness for 40 years. He would go on to pen these thoughts, depend on it. God's work done in God's way will never lack God's supply. Let me say that again. Depend on it. God's work done in God's way will never lack God's supply. Now, no matter what it is you're facing right now, it might seem as though your supplies are limited and your resources have been strained, what you and I have got to do is to turn our minds and our hearts and our souls to the infinite, eternal, unchangeable God who is the ultimate resource for all who know Jesus Christ as the Lord and as the Savior. What I want to do is take Hudson Taylor's thoughts now, weave them into the fabric of these verses, And draw out for you and for me three significant provisions that are very clear here but need to be applied. Three significant provisions that all believers should be able to not only experience but also to explain to others with regard to what it is that God does in, through, and for us. Now the first flows out of verse 16. And we're going to put it like this. that Number one, you, me, we we should seek the peace of our Lord among us. But we're going to break this down into parts, because that opening portion of that verse is simply loaded with perspective on the way in which you and I need to be able to appropriate this peace that is being described here in these verses. I want you to first of all, as you break it down with me, is to note the source of this peace. It reads, Now may the Lord of peace be himself, not others, himself, not your circumstances, himself, and not you, himself. The word himself is placed in the emphatic position, and for a reason, because the natural tendency that you and I have is to substitute someone, something, or self, for God and then wonder why do I feel so diminished and so depleted when it comes to trying to live out this life before and for the sovereign God. Now, you hit the pause button at this point and you ask yourself a very critical question. Where in the course of my life experience am I tempted or am I tending, trending, towards substituting for God and then wondering, why am I depleted in the very areas where God has such abundant resources to provide? Now may the Lord of peace himself, he states at this point. In other words, in very unmistakable, in words that are highly exclusive, he wants you and me to know there is to be no one and there is to be nothing that ought to be an alternative to God when it comes to trying to figure out how do I experience peace in my life. Why? Because when Jesus Christ died on that cross for our sins, when three days later what he did on that cross validated what he did on the cross by being raised from the dead, at that point the peace of God which surpasses all understanding, you and I are told by the Apostle Paul, will oh God your heart, my heart in Christ Jesus And as he wrote to the Philippian people at that point with those verses, what he was saying, in essence, is that word God, which was used to describe an army officer who would be walking along the wall of a fortress city, looking out over the landscape, making absolutely certain that though there are threats from without, there is peace from within, gets applied likewise to your life and my life, so that even though if you look outwardly at your circumstances and you feel as though there are such threatening challenges you're facing right now, you can counter it because greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world. And what God's peace does is that he guards your heart like that sentinel during the course of the night, making absolutely certain that behind those walls is a steadied peace governed by your sovereign God that is you at this point there is to be peace within the walls of your heart in the walls of your soul but what we've got to make absolutely certain is that we are not substituting for God either our circumstances or our own abilities Make absolutely certain you are exclusively devoted to God because this verse begins with an absolute exclusive emphasis upon God with that phrase, Now may the Lord of peace himself, not others, give you peace. Now look very carefully at that whole idea of God being the God of your peace. Throughout the Bible, you're going to find and I'm going to find that God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit are variously linked to the whole idea of peace. God the Father, for example, in Romans chapter 15, verse 33, where Paul has spoken, written to a church that he did not start, the only one of his letters to churches that he was not, Involved in the beginnings of. And that's why it's such a heavily oriented theology piece. He ends in Romans 15.33 by stating. May the God of peace be with you all. And then adds the word. Amen. Now if you were to go and look. And furthermore, with regard to the way in which God describes Jesus Christ, for example, if you were to turn in your Bible to Isaiah, and you're looking carefully at Isaiah, and you got to chapter 9 and verses 6 and 7, which are continuously used, of course, during, say, Christmas seasons. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulders, and his name shall be called what? Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God. Everlasting Father, what? Prince of Peace. Now, you've got the Father, you have got the Son... And furthermore, if you are examining and exploring very carefully the dynamics of the fruit of the Spirit found in Galatians chapter 5, verses 22 and 23, what you would be able to come to is a thorough understanding that likewise, the third member of the Trinity, the Holy Spirit, is linked to the idea of peace, which is one aspect of the fruit of the Spirit as well. Now, there is your source. Now, the question is at this point, if you're experiencing unrest within your heart, behind those walls, have you substituted for good? Either your circumstances, your plans, your abilities. Everything else is finite, temporal, and changeable. Only one is infinite, eternal and unchangeable. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, the three-in-one triune God is the God that we worship as we gather together on these Sundays. So you've started now with your source. You've got it right. You've eliminated all other competitors. Now may the Lord of peace himself. But I want you to notice now with me, we're still working that verse, verse 16. I want you to notice not only the source of your peace, I want you to second of all, notice with me under this category, the gift of this peace. Now may the Lord of peace himself give you peace. Notice then that this is a gift to be received. It is not something that you nor I have achieved. In other words, we can't push ourselves to the point, if only I can make my circumstances tranquil, if I can find just that right job, if I can get just that right health care plan, if I can just find a situation where my children will be in just the right setting, educationally and locationally, then we'll have a sense of peace. But notice, notice this. This is not something that we achieve. This is something that we receive. We have to ask, what am I receiving? It is the gift, the peace. Where is the source? The source is in God himself. Now I begin to work from source to gift. This world is not operating this way, is it? It doesn't view it as a gift. It's something to be achieved. And furthermore, they're coming up with alternative sources rather than God himself. And then we have such unrest in this world and such unrest in people's minds, hearts, and souls. But the believer has got something that the unbeliever simply does not understand. You know where the source is and you know what the gift is. You've gone to the cross. You understand grace. You understand grace as it relates to that price tag that is found in the finished work of Jesus Christ. And now you say to yourself, I have got a God. I've got a God who's not indifferent to me. I've got a God who's directly involved with me. Years ago, I came across discussions that take place between the outgoing president and the incoming president, and jotted my notes. And one that caught my attention was the outgoing President Coolidge and the incoming President Hoover. And Hoover tells this advice that he received from Coolidge, almost fatherly advice. It's interesting. Contrast this with God. Where Coolidge said to Hoover, as the next president, you have to stand every day, three or four hours of visitors, Nine-tenths of them want something they ought not to have. If you keep dead still, they'll run down in about three or four minutes. But if you even so much as cough or smile, they will start up all over again. Now, you do not have a God who is indifferent to you. What you have God, is a God who is so deeply involved that he brought Jesus Christ into this world to die for your sins, this one known as Emmanuel, God with us, this one who is known as the Prince of Peace, who secured that peace when he died in your place, my place, for our sins. But what we find is that people are in a continual search process, occupationally, medically, no matter what the case might be, to figure out an alternative to the source and an alternative to the gift. And you've got to stay true to God's word if you're going to take these last words because you and I know that last words create lasting impressions. And I thought about that when I came across this. That years and years ago, a British cavalry officer who had taken part in the charge of the Light Brigade in the Crimean War, he was so traumatized by his war experience, he resigned his commission Tried to find peace back home in England. Couldn't. Decided to come to America seeking peace. And finally, in the late 1850s, used Civil War buffs. He found the perfect place. He purchased a small farm and retired to a tranquil area in Virginia called Bull Run. And thus the Civil War. What you and I do is we are continuously looking for alternatives. But when you are looking for an alternative outside of who God is and outside of what God does, then we continuously reposition ourselves in various areas of life that are highly conflicted by nature. But what is not meant to be highly conflicted by nature is our relationship with God because the conflict was settled at the cross of Jesus Christ. Now, there you have it so far you have now identified your source, number one. You have identified your gift, number two, but you're not done yet with this verse because there's still more that's loaded into verse 16 that deals with the provision of God because I also want you to notice here not only the source and the gift, but the availability because he speaks of this piece at all times. Notice that it does not say sometimes. It's not episodic. It is not periodic. What he is now telling you and telling me that this is to be all-encompassing. But you say, but Gary, that is so incredibly difficult to do. And you're absolutely right. And if you allow the externals to simply reorient your internals, if you allow the temporal issues of life, to so overwhelm your sense of the eternal matters of life, then you're going to be wrestling with this statement at all times. But you see, you've got to allow the eternal dimension to reshape your understanding of the temporal dimensions of life so that every moment in which you are challenged with an alternative and a counterfeit to the at-all-times matter of peace, You go back to your source. Then you go back to your gift. Then you re-examine this phrase at all times. And you allow for the fact that this eternal peace that was secured by Jesus Christ on that cross, where the penalty of sin was paid once and for all, you allow the eternal to shape the internal, not vice versa. And when you're operating that way, then you are able to get the sense of the heartbeat of what Paul was attempting to communicate. Because if you examine once again Acts chapter 17, where God's story with regard to what the people in Thessalonica were experiencing, you would find that these people were continuously under threat governmentally and through matters of various realms of persecution. One of the members, in fact, by the name of Jason, was hauled into court because he was accused of being one who would minister to the Apostle Paul and the Apostle Paul's colleagues. They were feeling threatened from without. But this church needs to have a sense of peace from within. Now, the moment you feel threatened from without, what you need is a sense of peace from within. You start with your source. Then you go to your gift. Then you go furthermore to this whole matter of the availability at all times and then what do you do fourthly you move from the availability of this piece to this whole matter of the circumstances of this piece do you see how it reads in every way doesn't read in some ways it's not saying, in essence, well, in certain circumstances, God's going to give you peace if all things are working out on the externals of life. No, what God is saying is that God is going to give you peace in the inside, even though not necessarily will things be working out on the outside. Now, what have you done? You have collected together four strands of this whole matter of this lasting impression, of these last words with regard to the provision of peace. You've spotted your source. You've spotted your gift. You've spotted your availability. You have spotted, fourthly, your circumstances. It's at all times availability. It is in every way your circumstances. And now you take a deep breath and you say, that's my God. That's my God. And he's meeting me, no matter how difficult your challenges are at your point of need. And you pulled all that out of just half of one verse. Now, once you've established that provision, there's a second provision that I want you to notice here. The second of all, that we should seek not only the peace of the Lord among us, but secondly, the presence of our Lord among us. What you're going to want to do sometime in your own devotions is to continuously explore the little word with, as it relates to God. And you. Do not disconnect yourself from God. That little word with is meant to be the connector between you and God. The Lord be with you. All. Now, always bring the with between you and God at this point. Don't disconnect from God. Let me give you some examples. Think it through with me. For example, Do you remember the story of Moses? Moses in Exodus chapter 3, verse 12. He thought he was doing the Israelites a favor. He had taken on a persecutor of the Israelites and then booted out of Egypt. And now he's wondering, where are you, God, in the midst of this life experience of mine? Have you ever been there? And God breaks into his solitary experience through the burning bush, And listen very carefully to what God says to Moses via that bush. He said, but I will be with you. And this shall be the sign for you that I have sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you shall serve God on this mountain. Now Moses may be rethinking what he did in Egypt and wondering, should I have even done that? And perhaps you find yourself in similar situations where you look back over the course of your prior days and you're saying, if only, if only I had done this rather than this, this rather than that, then I would not be where I am at at this particular point in the decision-makings of my life, in my life trajectory. And here is Moses now who might be wondering similar things. And now God breaks into his wilderness experience and he says, I am with you do not extract the width between God and you and you say well maybe that's just for one generation and maybe the Israelites felt that way and maybe Joshua felt that way when he was asked to take over leadership in place of Moses but there was such a natural transition between Moses and Joshua as Moses led the people through the promise, or through the wilderness, and Joshua led them out of the wilderness into the promised land. Listen carefully then to what the next generation of leadership heard from God in Joshua chapter 1, verse 9. Have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Do not be frightened. Do not be dismayed. For the Lord your God is what? with you. Don't extract the width between God and you. Joshua would die, and the people are wondering about where do we go from here and what's going to take place. God breaks him to the life experience, not in times of peace, but in times of conflict with a man by the name of Gideon. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him and said to him, The Lord is with you, O mighty man of valor. Which is ironic because Gideon was anything but a mighty man, you see, of valor. And I thought about that when I came across some of the writings of Robert Coleman and J. Edwin Orr with regard to revivals in the past. Because Orr in particular wrote, "At at times there's this strange sense that God's witness can pervade a building, a worship service, a family, an individual, affecting those who seem to come within its spell. For example, the Welsh revival of 1904. There was a meeting that continued on in a small town through the night. A minor, a hard and godless character was coming back from his shift about four in the morning, saw the light in the chapel, decided to investigate, and as soon as he opened the door, he was overwhelmed by a sense of the witness of God. And he was heard to exclaim, Oh, God is here. Have you ever had such a powerful sense, whether it be in your aloneness or in your togetherness with others? An overwhelming sense of, God is here. Now, the astounding thing to me is that that happens not only in the good times. That can also happen in the bad times. You know, in the good times, Joseph was working in Egypt, and he was rising rapidly on the organizational scale. In Exodus chapter 39, verse 2, you and I are informed, the Lord was with Joseph. And he became a successful man. And he was in the house of the Egyptian master. And his master saw that the Lord was with him. And that the Lord caused all that he did to succeed in his hands. But you know, Joseph was incriminated. Blamed falsely. Imprisoned. At the very end of that chapter where he has gone from the heights to the depths and now he finds himself incarcerated, in verse 23, listen to this, the keeper of the prison paid no attention to anything that was in Joseph's charge because the Lord was with him. And whatever he did, the Lord made it succeed. In the great revivals of 1858, ships, as they were coming nearer and nearer the American ports, seemed to come into what is known as the zone of the Spirit's influence, the witness of God. J. Edwin tells us that ship after ship arrived with the same story of the sudden conviction that God was in their midst, even in the midst of the storms. In one ship, a captain, and the entire crew of 30 men found Christ out at sea, came to the harbor rejoicing. They had made their way through the storm. They had made their way through the storm by making their way with Christ. Now, What storms are you experiencing in your life? What I want you to do now is to link together the peace of God with the presence of God. You can't separate the two. So you look at these provisions that we have just noted thus far out of just one verse, and we realize that last words create lasting impressions, and now he pens this for the Thessalonian people who are going through difficult times. And he wants them now to create a link. And what I want you to do is to start to create a link. Take the four aspects of peace that we identified. Pull them together. Then look very carefully at the sense of the presence of God. And there are two aspects to that. Both the transitions of life and the trials of life. The transitions, Moses to Joshua, onwards to Gideon. The trials look very carefully at Joseph, who started so well at the beginning of chapter 39 of the book of Genesis and then found himself in this downward spiral, this descent. And yet, what do we find at the beginning and at the end of of that chapter? The Lord was with him. Don't extract the with in your relationship to your God. Okay? We're busy extracting and then replacing. And we lose sight of the gift because we lose sight of the source. And then we wonder about the availability and we struggle with the circumstances. We grapple with the transitions and we get overwhelmed by the trials. But now, what you are doing biblically with just one verse, one verse, verse 16. You have pulled together now the sense of God's peace, the sense now of God's presence. Paul pauses. In verse 17, he wants to simply accentuate the fact that this is from through him, that there are no alternatives, no counterfeits that they should be considering. I, Paul, write this greeting with my own hand, this is the sign of genuineness in every letter of mine. It is the way I write, because there were counterfeit letters out there that would have caused the people then to begin to wonder something with regard to God's peace and something with regard to God's presence. So now they look at the signature and they say, That's, that's Paul. He encountered the risen Savior. They take a deep breath, and now comes that last verse. Because here, thoroughly now, we should seek not only the peace of our Lord and the presence of our Lord, but thoroughly the grace of our Lord among us. And you see it in verse 18. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ (coughs) be with you all. Do not underestimate the significance of that. Because he uses the word with. I would have been prone to want to say the grace of our Lord in us. But what happens so often when you are facing the challenges that the people of Thessalonica are described in Acts chapter 17 is that you can lose that sense of the grace of God among us. It means that a congregation has got to take seriously the sinfulness of sin, but furthermore, it's got to take very seriously the significance of salvation. Chuck Swindoll illustrates it well. Tells of a friend who wanted to purchase a gem for a loved one. This man visited a jeweler who knew just how to display his merchandise. Get this. Stopped under a bright light. Slid a piece of black velvet onto the glass counter. Took the gems from the case. Laid them one by one on the velvet. And then adds, Without that black backdrop, he couldn't have seen the cut. The hues, the beauty of each gem. Now I want you to take this third provision, grace. I want you to go to that cross and see the black back drop there, and then add these words: "I learned something from his search for that jewel, that we cannot appreciate the beauty, the lustre, the brilliance of God's grace." if we have never seen the backdrop of sin as it really is. Now you look at the backdrop, but once you've examined the background, don't underestimate what is there in the foreground. The Savior who died in your place for your sins, and because of that, you've got three significant provisions. The peace of God the presence of God, the grace of God. And now you're able to embrace exactly what Hudson Taylor himself wrote. Depend on it. God's work, done in God's way, will never lack God's supply because you start with the source, God himself. Amen. Thanks for studying Second Thessalonians with me. Let's stand together. And now, Father, I praise you and I thank you for who you are. We do not come to entertain or to be entertained. We do not come to substitute ourselves or our circumstances for you. This is a congregation that keeps first things first because we keep the first one first, and that is you. And so, Lord, may we stay riveted upon who you are, riveted upon what you have done. And I'm praying that if anyone has lacked any of these three distinctives, may they find now that they have returned to the one who provides the true sense of peace, the true sense of presence, the true sense of grace. And may they leave, Father, refreshed and renewed over the fact that the witness of their God is highlighted when one knows Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. And for this, we give you all the praise. All of it. In Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you.